Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. Hello, everyone in podcast land. Welcome to today's episode. Today, we're talking about Apple's confusing new iPad lineup. We talk about Netflix's new ad-supported tier launching in just about two weeks. And we talk about PlayStation trying to cock-block Microsoft. All right, on to topic number one. We're talking about Apple's new iPads. So I think for a couple of weeks, I was thinking of suggesting this as a topic for our uh, for our podcast. There was rumors there would be an Apple event, and then recently it's like, oh no, there doesn't look like there's gonna doesn't look like there's gonna be an Apple event in October. They might just you know do a press release, and then all of a sudden there's a new you know new iPads coming out just announced kind of out of the blue i don't think i don't think very many people were expecting it right so this past week on tuesday october 18th apple announced ipad updates via youtube twitter you know press releases on their website main things they've released they've finally updated their entry-level ipad which is now on the 10th generation ipad so they've updated the design it's now it now looks just like the iPad Air and iPad Pro. So it's a 10.9-inch display. They've taken Touch ID from the front of the device. They've moved it to the sleep-wake button. It has USB-C. Uh, it's an all-screen design, so no more chunky bezels on the top and bottom. They've actually moved the camera. So one of the big complaints about iPad is that the camera is set up as if you're going to use it in portrait mode. But the majority of people use their iPads and tablets in general in landscape mode. So this iPad actually moves the camera from portrait mode to landscape mode. It's coming out October 26th, and it's starting at 449. They've updated the iPad Pros also, but it's not really not a design change at all. They've really just taken it from M1. They've updated them to M2. They have a cool new feature with their iPad Pros and their Apple Pencils called Apple Pencil Hover Mode. And what it does is the iPad will detect your Apple Pencil about 12 millimeters, I think. Yeah, they said 12 millimeters at the furthest. So it will make writing on your screen easier. It will make drawing easier, more precise, and enable some other functions too. But same price. The 11-inch model still starts at $799. The 13-inch model still starts at $1099. And they also announced that they've updated their Apple TV 4K with the A15 Bionic chip. And iPad OS 16 is actually coming out next week, Monday, October 24th. But not too much new stuff. The, I guess, 10th generation iPad is kind of the biggest change up. But from this, you know, sneaky press release what are your thoughts on the new or what are your thoughts on the current ipad lineup yeah so this one definitely snuck up on me i had no idea that that um this was happening and i watched some of the video uh actually i watched the whole video that uh, apple released i think there was like a nine minute um video so it wasn't like a part of a big keynote which was kind of surprising i'm kind of wondering why they didn't hold off on this until maybe they had more to talk about um or maybe we probably won't see uh, another event where this would have fit in um, and maybe we might not see anything from Apple for a while and including what they might do with with the MacBooks but 
I'm kind of surprised that that they kind of just launched this this little event talking about these new iPads, and they're strange. Um, <laughs> they, like you mentioned, the iPad Pro just getting an M2 bump. Don't know if that's all that necessary based on what we've seen with M2 on the uh, on the MacBooks. Uh, you know, when there's not much cooling, um, and especially with something like an iPad. It'll be interesting to see what reviewers say about the performance, if there's any significant difference. I have even seen some people talk about how the M1 iPad Air, in some cases, outperformed the M2 iPad Air just because of heat. And th- those kind of situations oh, are... MacBook Air. Sorry, MacBook Air. Yes, yes. The M1 MacBook Air. We haven't seen anything on the M2 iPad Air yet. Um <laughs> But the M1 uh, MacBook Air kind of outperforming in very rare occasions, but the M2 uh, MacBook Air, which is kind of surprising. And who knows, maybe those issues can kind of prop up or, or be even more significant on such a small device like an, like an iPad Pro. But other than that, I think it's fine. Most people are, are going to uh, love the fact that there is the upda- most updated chip in the Pro and at the end of the day, the iPads still struggle with use, utilizing an M1 processor or an M2 processor to the fullest extent. So I don't know. There probably won't be too much change there for most people. This base-level iPad, though, I mean, it sounds like it should have been a home run. This is the base-level iPad getting the updated design of the iPad Airs and the iPad Pros, some really cool colors, including a, a blue, pink, yellow, and silver getting updated cameras and an updated chip, nothing close to an M1 processor, but it's getting the A14 Bionic, uh, which is an upgrade from the A13 Bionic uh, that the previous iPad had. But then there's a bunch of stuff that just kind of confuses you. Like, it only supports, it seemingly only supports the first generation iPad Pencil, yep, uh, Apple Pencil, which makes no sense because... The Apple Pencil, specifically the the current gen, the iPad Pencil Gen 2, or the Apple Pencil Gen 2, has the the flat side so that it could magnetically attach to these new iPad designs, which this iPad has, but for some reason will not charge the pen. Uh, So what they're using is the old uh, Apple Pencil 1, which normally charged with lightning, and now this tablet has USB-C charging, so you need to have an adapter with the pencil so that you can charge it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, via USB-C. So it's just, it's, it's just dumb. Um, there's no other way to, to put it. It's just really dumb. And then on top of that, there's a huge price increase. Uh, you know, the, the last iPad generation, the base level, was a fantastic value starting at around $330 US. This device is $450 US. And there, I, I don't know if there's an argument to, to be made that it's worth that huge price increase over the last gen iPad because yes, there is a 5g version, but you have to pay more for that. The base model does not come with 5g. Yes, it has better cameras, but it's still only a 12 megapixel camera uh, on the front and the back. And yes, it has the updated design, but it doesn't support the updated Apple pencil. So it's like, it's a weird, weird decision um, on Apple's part with this product. And I don't know who this is for, uh, but I don't know. I, I don't want to be too negative on it. They they updated the iPad. I think the price should be a little bit cheaper, but I would imagine Apple wants to, across the board, get their products a little bit more premium. I wouldn't be surprised if we see the same thing with the next version of the SE when that gets an updated design that 
we're going to see another price increase on that product. Mm-hmm. But I, the one positive I will give it is that it now comes in yellow, and I think that's really cool. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I kind of like the design. Uh, but overall, I do think a lot of people seem to be quite disappointed by this this iPad event, which is probably why they separated it off into their own into its own thing because it's not going to wow the same way a new version of the MacBook would. Um, maybe coming later yeah. this year. Yeah, very very strange release. Mm-hmm. Touching on the iPad 10th generation, so as you said, it has the A14 Bionic. Compared to the M1, yeah, it's not as good of a chip, but I mean, in terms of what you can do on an iPad, right, our biggest critique of iPads in in general has been the M1 is an amazing processor, but it's hamstrung by the iPad OS, which limits what you can do. Yeah. So if you talk about like the limited workspace of iPad OS, and are you going to see that much of a difference between the A14 and the M1? Probably not, unless it's, you know, software features that Apple limits. iPad OS 16 is coming out Monday, and one of the key features is Stage Manager, which they are only allowing in iPads with M1 or M2. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, A14 possibly could handle it, but that's kind of one reason to get an M1 powered device or an M2 powered device over this A14 entry level device. Another thing that the iPad 10th generation has, they have a new case that they designed just for this iPad called the Magic Folio keyboard, not to be confused with the Smart Folio keyboard or the Magic keyboard. It's the Magic Folio keyboard for $249 and it only works with the iPad 10th generation. Now, this keyboard is it's I'm it's what I've said is my favorite design of tablets, you know, since I think I said in the last podcast, right? When we were talking about the Surface tablet. So this keyboard case has a magnetic attachment to the back of your iPad. So it has a kickstand that you can either, you know, prop all the way up or you can fold it down or it folds flat to the back of the iPad so you can lay it face down. It also has a detachable keyboard that attaches to the bottom of the iPad via magnets. So you essentially turn your iPad into a Surface tablet, which I think is phenomenal. Yeah, great job, Apple, for not coming up with it, but for you know copying everyone else that's done it. Because for years now, you've been able to buy you've been able to buy third party cases like the Logitech Combo Touch, which is the case that I use for my iPad Air, that turns your iPad into a Surface tablet, or the same design of a Surface tablet. It's a detachable keyboard. It has 14 function keys and an adjustable kickstand, like I mentioned. So this keyboard is sort of technically better than the Magic Keyboard, because the Magic Keyboard doesn't have function keys. So it's kind of weird that this sort of entry-level device has a newer keyboard and a new you know, detachable keyboard stand thing it has function keys, and they have the newer landscape mode camera, right? They, you know, I'm air quote, updated the iPad Pros, but they didn't change the design at all. They could have, if they wanted to, they could have moved the camera from the portrait mode to the landscape, and everyone would have been like, well, thank you. You know, you did it for the 10th generation, Yeah. but your Pro devices don't have that, which is kind of weird. As you mentioned, it's still Apple Pencil Gen 1, and you need to buy a $9 
USB-C accessory in order to charge your Apple Pencil with this device, but they could have easily made it work with the, uh, they could have easily made it work with the Apple Pencil Gen 2, which is kind of another weird choice on their end. Yeah. Talking about the Pro devices still, so the 11-inch iPad Pro, all it got was the M2 chip. I guess that's all the 13-inch got too, but we still don't have the XDR display for the 11-inch iPad Pro, which is kind of like, it's a pro device, but not really because you don't have the, you know, that mini LED that we have on the 13 inch. So it makes the 13 inch pro so much better than the 11 inch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you said we don't have M2 and iPad air yet, but if we do get M2 coming to iPad air, I think it's the start of next year is when they did it around springtime, I want to say. So if we get the M2 and the iPad air next year, then once again, we're at the same you know, we had the same dilemma of, well, why would anyone get the 11 inch iPad pro when they could just get the air? Cause it's the exact same device, except, okay, you lose a couple of cameras and you don't get that mini led screen. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's this 11 inch device is ver- in a very weird place and take it back to the iPad air. So we're on the fifth generation iPad air has M one in it. Great device. I highly recommend it last generation's iPad Air. So the fourth generation has a 14. So it's essentially the exact same device as if this new updated 10th generation iPad Air. But with the iPad Air, you get Apple Pencil 2 support and you also get Magic Keyboard support. But you lose out on a slightly worse front-facing camera, no new orientation, as we mentioned, and you don't have center stage. But you could get that iPad refurbished straight from apple for ten dollars more than this new ipad this new entry-level ipad costs which is kind of weird and i'm sure you could find it on other websites you could probably find it you know at a best buy or you could probably find it on amazon for even less than this 10th generation ipad costs and then if you're someone who wants the newer keyboard or if you want some if you're someone who wants the apple pencil gen 2 or you're someone who wants to use the magic keyboard that would be a better device for you and you don't have to worry about a getting a dongle just to charge your apple pencil so apple does a lot of confusing things especially around their ipad lineup and maybe there wasn't enough new stuff as you said to warrant an entire keynote because what their their keynote was 10 minutes i think Mm -hmm. in total yeah their their video that they put out so yeah it's an interesting update I mean, I'm sure definitely welcome to a lot of people. A new iPad, 10th generation. It looks great. I like the design. But they've chosen to give it some features that are cutting edge in terms of iPad. And also chosen to give it some features that are like five years old in terms of iPad. So it's in a very weird spot. Very strange spot. And I think the the biggest issue for me is I'm fine with it only supporting the Apple Pencil Gen 1, in theory. I'm fine with, you know, only having an A14 Bionic on this new, you know, base level iPad. What I'm not fine with is the price. I think that's the issue is making it $120 more mm-hmm. for just because they updated the design is such a weird move. And I, I, I find this interesting with the iPad line. Like we talked about how the pros were the best value 
that iPad or that Apple was offering at the time, especially when they switched them over to M1 initially. Or I don't did we did we say value or just the best hardware? Best hardware, like the best. Or I guess product hardware, product yeah. For for the money, essentially at that point. But obviously the software was hampering it. But the, yeah, the best hardware for the money, it was the closest thing to like a Microsoft Surface, but it was cheaper for most people um, and more powerful. Obviously, iPad OS still a huge um, downside, which I, I want to touch on one thing um, before I move on. But, you know, it was a great value. And I would imagine that maybe the margins on the iPad Pros are a little bit less than something that I think is also ridiculously priced, something like the iPad mini which also got a premium just for having an updated design. And it's like way more expensive than it really ever should be. I feel like this new iPad falls into that line. If it was 330 or 399 USD with this design, but still supported the Apple Pencil Gen 1, I think most people would be fine with it. I think the fact that it is so expensive and is only supporting the iPad Pencil or the Apple Pencil Gen 1, um, it just makes it a weird, weird situation um, for a lot of people. But the one thing I do want to mention that was kind of cool in this event, and it goes back to, you know, the iPads potentially becoming a really viable product if the software supports the level of, of power that these things um, can use, is that in this event, we got the announcement that DaVinci Resolve is coming to the iPad. And it looks very full-featured. It looks like the full version of DaVinci Resolve with color grading and everything just natively working on the iPad, which would make sense because they got this natively working on uh, Apple Silicon on Mac. So I imagine they're probably just trying to port that over to the iPad. I'm curious to see how well that performs. I would love to see you know reviewers test that out because it is very exciting news and could be the catalyst for more desktop class software showing up on these ipads i actually had that highlighted like as something to bring up next um no yeah that's it's i'm, I'm looking forward to it mm. so i'm someone who i edit videos on my ipad uh, on my ipad air with m1 and i use adobe premiere rush which is i mean has all the features that i personally need so i've wanted to use davinci resolve but my macbook is way too old to even run it properly so the fact that i'll be able to run davinci resolve on my ipad is something that i'm looking forward to and then you know i can kind of see how i could see how that compares to my experience with premiere so yeah i'm definitely looking forward to that the the only thing that kind of has me worried though so they said you know they're getting pro apps pro workflow apps for their pro devices so it's coming to the m2 ipad pro they've said it's coming to the m1 ipad pro i am a little bit worried because i have an m1 ipad air now in theory it has the same processor so it should be able to run davinci resolve right but it does apple do the apple thing and say this is only for our pro devices even though it has the exact same process i i don't think so it doesn't make sense to me it should work on my iPad, no problem. But Apple does a lot of things that don't make sense to me. So here's my fingers crossed that DaVinci is coming to the M1 iPad Air. But, you know, Apple could do its Apple thing and decide to just not put it on that device that is fully capable of it. Yeah. I mean, the, the only reason I could see them doing that, and I don't think it's a good one, is 
because the RAM is pretty much the same on the base level iPad Pros and the iPad Air. They both start at 8 gigabytes, but the iPad Pros can go up to 16 gigabytes of RAM, which could be a little bit of a thing, maybe an issue. But then there's also the ProRes uh, encoder and decode engine in the iPad Pro versions of the M2 chip. Uh, now, if they're saying that's also coming to the M1 um, iPad Pros, I don't know if that same encode decode engine uh, acceleration is also on those, but it's not on the fifth generation iPad Air. Either way, I think they should be able to make it work because this is an insanely powerful device with the M1. So yeah, yeah, it, it shouldn't be that. If if that's the the bridge, I would say okay. If you were saying it's only available for M2, then okay, maybe that's an argument. But if you're saying it's also coming to M1 Pros, it should have to come to the M1 Air. It should. It should. Um, and one more thing about the 10th generation iPad. I keep on getting confused with like which iPad I'm talking about. <laughs> so the 10th generation iPad with their magic folio keyboard that I talked about. So it's a 10.9 inch screen, same as the iPad Air, essentially the same as the 11 inch iPad Pro. And one, one reason that I like the iPad Air so much from last year is that a lot of the accessories like the magic keyboard, like cases yeah. for the iPad Pro work with the iPad Air. This 10th generation iPad, so same screen size, you know, same screen dimensions, resolutions, pixels per inch, all of that is the same. But it is just slightly taller, slightly wider, slightly deeper. And I'm talking about like 0 0.05 of an inch yeah. in each dimension that it won't work with the other cases for the other devices. And I'm guessing, well, not I'm guessing, the Magic Folio doesn't work with the iPad Air. It doesn't work with the iPad Pro. It only works with this 10th generation iPad, probably because the dimensions are different. Even though they could have they very easily made the dimensions the exactly the same. I'm sure, you know, in terms of research and development and tooling, they had to put more money into making this 0 0.05 of an inch bigger in each dimension instead of just making the exact same size like they did for the iPad Pro 11 inch, like they did for the iPad Air 4th and 5th generation. So this is like another Apple being Apple thing where it would have been cool if you said, hey, this iPad 10th generation, exact same size. You could use the Magic Keyboard and then, hey, maybe then the extra price increase was like, okay, well, this could be kind of a pro device. They could have given it Apple Pencil Gen 2 support, but Apple being Apple made it 0 0.05 inches bigger. So it doesn't work with cases from the other app iPads and other iPads don't work with the Magic Folio keyboard, which is, yeah. This, that point you just made, to me is absolutely nonsensical. Like, I do not understand. It feels like they made the dimensional changes specifically to make sure that it did not support the accessories exactly. because exactly these two devices are using the exact same screen, the exact, exact same resolution, the exact same uh, brightness figures. Like it is identical. So they essentially took the exact same screen from the iPad air and they made a slightly bigger, the, it's, as slight as you could possibly get bigger uh dimensional sizes all around that screen just to make sure it had its own 
ecosystem for cases and accessories, which is dumb and wasteful. And I don't understand how they get away with this. They could have literally just used the exact same body and, and, you know, kind of simplified manufacturing as the iPad air, um, and just had different colors. And I think like the, the visually it would be exactly the same as it looks right now because the dimensions are so small that it looks identical to an iPad air. So yeah, I don't know. This is, this is really dumb. I would love to get an explanation on this from Apple. Cause this is just dumb. Yeah. But it's another Apple being Apple, which is why I wouldn't be surprised if they said, Hey, DaVinci resolve only works for our pro devices Yeah, yeah. because only professionals need to use it. So yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking at the specs. I'm comparing the iPad air fifth generation and the iPad, um, the new 10th generation iPad. And specs from camera to everything. display, to everything. everything is exactly the same except for the chip. Yeah. And there's no reason why. The, like, these are the same device except for the Go, chip. So compare it to the fourth generation iPad Air also. Then it's the chip is exactly the same. Yeah. And the only difference is the cameras. It's insane. Like, this is these are literally the two same devices that they just, for some reason, decided they wanted to make it. Uh, small I, I don't know this is weird this is really weird like did you, are you comparing the fourth generation and the fourth generation air to the 10th generation ipad yeah like it is literally the exact same device except a better front-facing camera a different orientation okay 5g but like usb connect usb-c connector the same one works with apple pencil gen 2 one works with Apple Pencil Gen 1, but it's not like you can't say that it's a processor because they have the exact same processor. Yeah. One yeah. works with Magic Keyboard. One doesn't. Like, it's not... They chose not to let it work with it. They are selling the iPad Air fourth generation, Apple themselves, for... Sorry, I think $20 more. I think I said $10 before. $20 more. Yeah, I... I would love for someone who has access to Apple force them to give a reason for why they specifically made this 10 generation not compatible <laughs> with devices. But I would imagine their answer would be if I was them, oh, well, we wanted to make the camera in the center of the of the device. And we thought, how do we do this? What kind of engineering do we use to make this camera work uh, in the center of the device? And we had to make it a little bit bigger, which means it doesn't work with other accessories, which is absolute bullcrap. But Maybe that's how they justify it. I don't know. This is weird. <laughs> They're, the only justification is that they can get you to spend more money. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only ju justification. Oh, like if you want a new design. So, okay. Just to go over prices. Ninth generation iPad, 329. 10th generation iPad, 449. iPad mini, 499. iPad Air, Starts at five ninety nine. iPad Pro starts at seven ninety nine. So if you just want to get an iPad, three hundred and twenty nine dollars. Oh, okay, that's you know very entry level. That's very reasonable. But if you want a design that was that's from this decade, if you want the tenth generation iPad, you have to spend four hundred and forty nine dollars. But you don't get a new pencil. You get a like a nice keyboard but you don't get to use the magic keyboard you know you don't get uh i don't know there's other stuff you don't get and then let's say if you want a bit more you can get 
the iPad mini, but then that's the smallest iPad possible. You lose out on screen real estate, but you can use the Apple Pencil Gen 2 with that device and <laughs> you don't get a keyboard with that device. You can't use, there's no keyboards that Apple designs at least for it, but okay, maybe you want Apple Pencil Gen 2 support. You want to be able to use the Magic Keyboard and you like the 10.9 inch size, you get the iPad Air for $599, but then you lose out on that camera and you lose out on the Magic Keyboard Folio, even though third party cases are probably better, yeah. in my opinion, and cheaper. Um, but if you want the newest chip, you want M2, you want extra cameras because... Now people record videos, like cinematic videos on their iPads, according to the press briefing from Apple, get the iPad Pro for $7.99. But like, as we said, it's not really the entry-level one. You don't have the mini LED screen. So if you really want the Pro device, you got to spend $10.99. So it's, there's an iPad at like very incremental prices mm -hmm. it's like a small step like oh if you want a little bit more spend a hundred dollars you, you really want a little bit you want to use the second generation pencil spend another hundred dollars i mean but like you want the best processor don't you spend you know another couple extra hundred but like you don't have the screen you want mini led promotion spend an extra two hundred dollars and you go from 329 to 1099 yeah yeah this, this is dumb this is just <laughs> This is really dumb. I think this is the longest we ever talked about iPads, and it's for the wrong reason. But that's how you become a $1 trillion company. <laughs> Topic number two, Netflix earnings and ad-supported tier launching. So Netflix just had their earnings report, and they beat their earnings and customer additions that they predicted. So their Q3 revenue was up 5.9% year over year. And they had 2.4 million net global subscribers added in this past quarter. Their prediction was 1.09 million. So they almost doubled what they predicted they were going to add. Or sorry, no, they more than doubled what they predicted they were going to add. Uh, the majority of ads came from the Asia Pacific region. They're kind of, when it comes to US and Canada and North America, they're kind of like, they've almost reached market saturation or they're getting close to market saturation. They also plan to launch their ad supported tier next month. And, you know, advertisers rightfully so are very excited to get access to Netflix customers because I mean, since Netflix creation, there's been no ads, there's been no commercials. That's kind of the great thing about Netflix, right? You can stream episodes, seasons, entire series without ever watching a commercial once mm -hmm. once which is you know revolutionized how people consume media so rightfully so advertisers are excited to finally be able to reach some of netflix's audience some analysts are predicting that they could gain about 6.5 to 8 million potential new subscribers just in the u.s and canada in 2023 some people are also saying that their annual revenue per user from the ad supported tier could be higher than their standard subscription service. When you look at, you know, the usage and the CPM that advertisers are willing to pay per customer. So a lot of good signs coming from Netflix. I remember, I guess it was 
at the beginning of the year. They, you know, they were losing subscribers like crazy. Their revenue was down and everyone was kind of saying like, hey, I think, well, everyone, we even said too, like, is this the end of Netflix? Have they, you know, they've reached market saturation and now we're seeing this is what happens to streamers. You know, this is what happens to streaming services. And just because Netflix is the biggest one, and they were the first ones to do it. It's hitting them first. And eventually it's going to happen to Disney and it's going to happen to Amazon Prime. You know, that's what we were saying earlier in the year. Early, I know that's what I was saying. That's what a lot of people were saying. But are we seeing that? Okay, now Netflix has righted the ship. They're going in, obviously, a better direction that they're increasing revenue. What are your thoughts on just the fact that, hey, Netflix is actually, they're turning things around and, what do you think? What do you predict for this ad supported tier launching? Yeah, this is this is this is hard for me to 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 talk about and predict because I've mentioned in the past Netflix was and for the most part is my favorite streaming service. I know people love Disney Plus, um, but if I if I had to choose only one, it would probably be Netflix. But this ad supported tier, in my opinion, is dumb. It's 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 a mistake. It's it's very similar to the nonsense that we were talking about with Apple. I don't understand. To me, this this is a symbol of like you mentioned. This tier could potentially even be bring more revenue for them. And I think this is what happens when you have a good idea, and then executives come in and say, "Okay, this is a good idea for us to stop the bleeding." But what if we took this good idea and made it more profitable? And that's exactly what they did, and it turned into a bad idea because. This ad-supported tier, which is going to be called Ads with ba Basic with Ads, it's going to have 720p streaming, which is fine, perfectly fine with that, uh, and it's going to be $6.99 a month, which is only $3 cheaper than its regular Basic tier, which does not have ads. Not only that, unfortunately, because due to some licensing issues, some content will not be possible to be viewed on the ad-supported tier. And it will also prevent you from downloading any content to watch offline, probably because if you did that, you wouldn't get the ads. So it's a very uh, limited version of the service that costs only $3 less than the basic tier, which is now going to get upgraded with 720p streaming because before it wouldn't allow you, you had to go a tier above that to get HD um, streaming. And now that basic tier will support 720p. So yeah, I think this is a bit of greed on Netflix's part of, I think this, this tier could have been incredibly successful if it launched at 299. I don't think they could have gotten away with it for, with it being free. I think there is a model where if Netflix kind of like what, um, uh, what's that, that streaming stick called Roku, what Roku and a lot of these services do with, um, free streaming channels if Netflix said, okay, hey, we'll give you five channels for free. All these channels have ads, but there'll be a comedy channel. There'll be a movie channel. There'll be a, a sitcom channel. And you can just tune in. You don't get to choose what you watch, but it's free. And if there's something you want to watch, you get to tune in like you would a traditional cable uh, service. And we'll just put ads in between um, anything you decide to watch. I think that would be a great option uh, alongside this tier. And then this tier, if it launched at two ninety nine or something much cheaper than the regular basic tier, I think a lot of people would get excited about it. But I think this is going to unfortunately make anyone who was considering about signing up with Netflix with this cheaper tier, 
when they look at the price breakdown, they're going to be like, why? Why would I pay $3 less for ads and all this less stuff when I could have paid $3 more and got a lot more, but then I don't want Netflix to begin with. So it's like, I don't think it's going to excite anybody who canceled their Netflix subscription to get back in. It's not enough of a saving. And uh, yeah, I think this is 100% a mistake on Netflix's part. And when it comes to them turning the ship around, I mean, we know what Netflix does anytime they come into hard times. And if this ad-supported tier is not successful, which I imagine it won't be, what are they going to do? The same thing they do every time. They raise prices. And I think that's only going to cause more people to get frustrated. Uh, What may happen as a result is people might switch from the premium tiers to the ad-supported tier if that stays the same price but everything else goes up in the future. But Mm -hmm. uh, I think as of right now, the value proposition just isn't there. It doesn't make sense. And when you compare it to other services like Amazon Prime, which is, you know, cheaper than this uh, and has fantastic content, when you compare it to Disney Plus, which is cheaper than this and has fantastic content, even though I guarantee you those will also probably copy this ad-supported tier uh, option in the future um, and will probably raise their prices in the future as well. I, I, I don't know. I think this is Netflix not understanding where they are and the competition that they have to deal with, which for me is very disappointing because I've always said I think they are the best streaming service. I think they have the best um, combination of content. I think Disney Plus does great with like Star Wars and Marvel type stuff. But Netflix has such a huge variety that the other services don't have. And then, you know, we both talked about in the past uh, Cyberpunk Edge Runner, Runners, which the vast majority of people loved that content does not exist on Disney plus like that's not getting made for Disney plus that's not getting made elsewhere. That's a Netflix specific kind of thing that you know that they can execute on really well. Um, So yeah, this, this kind of move really, I think kind of disappoints me in, in something that I thought would be much more exciting and much cooler for the future of Netflix. But overall, I, I don't know. I think it might be a bit of a missed opportunity for them and might end up backfiring, but I don't know. That could just be me. I'm, I'm curious. Do you think that this ad-supported tier will be successful? Do you think it does enough in terms of cutting the price to entice people to come back to Netflix? Uh, come People come back to Netflix? Probably not. Mm. I guess not, um, not a large majority. I, could, I definitely see it as getting people interested in Netflix for the first time. Okay. You know, maybe people who never have had Netflix or, I don't know, maybe like students moving out of their parents' houses, you know, going away to school for the first time and they don't have Netflix. Because, you know, we didn't mention this, but they're going to start cracking down on password sharing. They call it piracy, but I mean, not really piracy. Anyways, they're going to start cracking down on password sharing and, you know, having one Netflix account being used in multiple households. So I think in conjunction with that once and we'll see you know how successful that is you know how successfully they are able to stop people from sharing passwords once they crack down on that if i'm a student and i'm i'm the, i want to watch netflix and this is the cheapest way to get into netflix then if i have to choose between netflix and regular tv i'm probably choosing netflix right so I could see it getting people that way, or maybe, you know, someone who's older, who's never been interested in Netflix, but okay, you know, sorry, how much did you say it was? Three, $6.99. $3. $6.99. Yeah. So $6.99 per month isn't that much, right? That's, I'm, I'm sure most adults would be okay spending that. 
right? To just to try out Netflix to see what they have. So yeah, I see I don't see it being hugely successful. Now 6.5 to 8 million, I don't like I could see it definitely being closer to the 6 or 5 million, but I'm not an analyst. You know, I'm not a <laughs> we don't crunch the numbers on Netflix like that, but I definitely see it being somewhat successful. And once they start cracking on a password share and I see it being more successful, I really see it as not so much enticing new people back, but as a way to upsell people, mm. right? We have the, what is it? I think it's a one month free trial right now, right? For new people, you know, if you want to sign up for Netflix and try it out, you get one month for free. And then after that, then you start paying for Netflix. I could see them adding this in to say, hey, you get one month for free after that month, then you get the ad supported tier for free, maybe for another month. And then after that, then you have to start paying for it. So I could see them using this ad supported tier to say, hey, we're getting people into Netflix. We get them used to watching stuff on our service. We get them, you know, used to binge and stuff, or we get them in the habit of doing that. And then we can upsell them to say, hey, you love our content or you like our content, you enjoy our content, but you don't want to watch commercials anymore. Just pay $3 more a month. It's not that much. You know, it's a couple Starbucks coffees a month and then you don't have to worry about ads at all. And then you can, you know, you can download all the stuff you want to watch. So you can watch it on your commute. And it's a lot easier if we just, if you just spend an extra $3 a month, I see them doing that with this sort of like what we, you know, we talked about with the iPads, right? Apple has these tiers where it's like, all right, this is just to get into it. But if you want a little bit of a better experience, here's an extra $50 mm-hmm. or in Netflix's case, here's an extra $3, right? So I could see people being enticed by $6.99 for Netflix. Okay. That's not too bad. And then they get into it and it's like, oh, I really don't want ads. I'm fine spending $3 a month because it's not that much. That's what I see them. That's why I see them creating this ad tier section. And I'm sure there will be people who are fine watching ads, just like there's people who are fine watching regular TV right now, right? And so depending on advertisers and usage and CPM, that could be very lucrative for them also. But I see this more as making it easier to upsell people than like a huge growth driver for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm one of those people, right? I, I I wouldn't say I like ads, but I don't mind them in my TV. I actually prefer, and I know this is weird, but I actually prefer to watch like longer movies on like a TV channel where, you know, I'm flipping through channels and I see a movie. I'm more, I'm more likely to watch that than I would on Netflix because I know, hey, okay, if I need to use a bathroom or something, there's going to be a commercial I can get up and do other things. It just, it's much easier for me to get into content if it's just there, you know, with ads and stuff like that. So I, I'm one of the people who would be fine with an ad supported tier. I think the problem with the upsell idea is that, okay, you give people the free month membership or, you know, there's this ad supported tier and, oh, if you only pay $3 more per month, you get everything that you had before, but with no ads. But I think one of the biggest issues with what Netflix is going through right now is not necessarily just about what they're doing wrong, but it's about what their competition is doing right. And if you start saying, okay, well, you can pay more and get it without ads. Well, you can also pay less than that and get Amazon Prime. You could pay less <laughs> than that. But you don't and... get Cyberpunk. But that's the thing. Like, yes, you don't get Cyberpunk, but you get the Rings of Power. You get, I don't know, whatever Tom Clancy series they decide to make. Um, 
do you get all these movies that they that they have streaming for free like uh, Ghostbusters and stuff like that like you get just as good content on those and I think that's the problem with Netflix is they used to be the only game in town now you can watch the brand new Marvel movie on Disney Plus you can watch the Lord of the Rings on Amazon you can watch all these other things like what's going on with HBO Max Game of Thrones House of Dragons Game of Thrones House of thank you all these cool things that you can watch on other services that now they're not just competing with themselves. They're competing with all those other people. And I think if this was a cheaper ad supported tier, they could legitimately compete, but because it's like, okay, we're going to try to upsell you to make more money off of you. um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, including someone like myself would just be like, well, I would rather pay less and get Amazon prime where I can also get free two day shipping, or I'd rather pay less and get all the newest Marvel movies, or I'd rather pay less and get game of Thrones. So, yeah, I think it's a hard sell, at least for me. We'll see in the future. But for me, it's a hard sell to say that this is worth it at all. And I think it's a huge, huge missed opportunity for them because yeah. all these other companies are going to launch an ad supported tier as well. And they're already cutting Netflix's ads, ad supported tier or undercutting Netflix's ad supported tier with value. What happens when they also introduce a cheaper plan that's way yeah. cheaper than this tier? So, yeah, it's it's that's true. It's I think it's just a missed opportunity all the way around. And I'm sure in the future, you know, as you said, Netflix's prices are probably going to go up. Mm-hmm. Maybe, okay, this is right now they're $3 apart. But then as they increase the price of the, let's say, premium or the original Netflix, they lower the price of the ad supported tier as they get more subscribers, right? Or they get more people using it. So then the gap between those two gets bigger and bigger, not just because, you know, standard Netflix is getting more expensive, but because ad supported Netflix. Is getting cheaper and cheaper. Yeah. So maybe you know, at some point next year, we have each of them move a dollar in each direction. So now there's a five dollar difference. Yeah. And then as more people use the ad supported Netflix, maybe there's a seven dollar difference. And then you know you get to the point where it's like, all right, this is half the price of standard Netflix, and maybe it's on par with something from you know Disney Plus or HBO Max or Amazon Prime. I guess at that point, would you say, okay, this is something that's actually viable. This is something that's that could actually be competitive and could be a big growth driver for Netflix. Yes, but I also think that it's too late. I think that's a situation mm-hmm. where you're giving your competition the ability to always make a counterplay or always undercut you, um, as opposed to if they, they're first, if they just came out with the best possible option, I think yeah. that would have that would have really lit a fire under everyone else as opposed to everyone else lighting a fire under Netflix. Um, and I don't know if we mentioned this, but with this ad supported tier, they're aiming for about five minutes of ads per hour of content, which is pretty good. I think I think five minutes isn't that much. Um, and I would imagine personally, I think it would have been a much better option if they did maybe 10 minutes of ads every hour but a much cheaper price or 10 minutes and free. I think this, this whole idea that they brought up just didn't work um, or doesn't work in my opinion. And I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if this is in any way, shape or form successful. Cause if it is, I'll, you know what? I'll be wrong. Um, but I just can't imagine this being successful. Interesting. I have a proposition. Mm-hmm. What if they release a service where you can watch as many ads as you want and it keeps track of that. And let's say for every five minutes of ads you watch, you get 
an hour of streaming ad free. So in theory, you could watch an hour of ads straight and then you can bank your ad free TV time. I don't know. I, I that's not, I mean, I don't, <laughs> that wouldn't work for advertisers because someone could just walk away, just turn it on and <laughs> yeah. walk away. So I, it wouldn't work, but yeah. I mean, that's how I treat ads on TV now, right? Anytime there's a commercial yeah. break, I walk away. <laughs> True. So our final topic of the podcast is returning to the Microsoft purchase of Activision. It's been kind of in the news uh, these past few months, specifically because UK regulators are kind of investigating the ramifications of Microsoft acquiring Activision, Blizzard, and King, um, which is the, the three kind of major companies under this this Activision rule, and seeing if this would potentially hurt the gaming market in terms of a monopoly for Microsoft. And with this situation, kind of like what we were seeing in the past with the Apple versus Epic kind of trial, you know, a lot of companies are coming in to make their case about whether or not they would, this would be a, a huge issue for the gaming community if, if Microsoft was able to go through with this deal. And one of the most vocal uh, in this anti uh uh, Activision purchased by Microsoft is Sony. Sony has been very clear that they do not like uh, the fact that Microsoft can buy Activision, which they are attempting to purchase for, I believe it is $64 billion. Let me just double check that. Oh, sorry. It's actually $68.7 billion. So a ton of money. Uh, but what Sony has been saying, at least mainly, uh, I think this argument has been centered around Call of Duty and the fact that that is one of the biggest franchises in gaming, uh, at least for the past couple of decades, and it's usually the highest selling game every year amongst the consoles. And the idea that Microsoft could own that, I think, has Sony very, very scared. Now, this is an interesting one because I think the biggest fear with Sony and a lot of Sony gamers is that the idea if Microsoft owns Activision and owns Call of Duty there could be a similar situation of what's happening with Bethesda right now where those games become Xbox exclusive somewhere in the future. Now, we know that won't be possible uh, anytime soon because Activision does have a deal, uh, an exclusivity deal, uh, a content exclusivity deal with PlayStation where they get maps and all this stuff early and that will exist for the at least the next three years, I believe. And then uh, Microsoft has also announced that, you know, because Sony has had some issues with the idea of of, uh, of Call of Duty potentially going exclusive, Microsoft has said to Sony, hey, you know what? We will honor the current deal and we will also extend that to another two or three years. So you don't have to worry about losing Call of Duty anytime soon. But I, th I don't think that that has, uh, you know, helped Sony at all. I think they're still pretty much terrified by the idea of potentially uh, Call of Duty going on Game Pass, which could undercut uh, people buying a PlayStation and Call of Duty because why would you buy both when you could literally just buy an Xbox and get it on Game Pass for no additional cost? Um, mm -hmm. And then there's also the fear that it could be a huge marketing issue for Sony if the idea of Call of Duty is tied to the Xbox brand, which it has been in the past. The last time we saw this was back in the Xbox 360 generation, which Microsoft did 
you know, pretty much won that generation. And a large part of that was because of that that tie between Microsoft and Xbox. Or Microsoft, you said Microsoft and Xbox. Sorry, yes, uh, Activision and Xbox, Call of Duty and Xbox, that kind of uh, marriage between those two. That switched over to the PlayStation 4 generation where uh, Activision made the deal with PlayStation and they shared marketing. So, And we saw PlayStation handedly win that generation. So yeah, I, I can actually see where they're coming from. The one thing that I do find really strange with, with Sony's argument about this, you know, uh, dislike of the idea of exclusives is that I find it a little hypocritical because Sony is the same company who paid a lot of money to make sure that Final Fantasy doesn't appear on Xbox. You know, both Final Fantasy VII Remake um, and Final Fantasy Sixteen are PlayStation exclusives. Project Athea, which I think was renamed uh, Forspoken, also a PlayStation console exclusive. So, you know, Sony has paid for exclusives from Square Enix. They've paid for for exclusives across the board. We even talked about in the past how uh, when Destiny was a big thing, all of the best guns were not available on Xbox. They were PlayStation exclusive. And that's similar to what's happening with Call of Duty right now. So it seems a little hypocritical, in my opinion, to say, oh, we don't like the fact that Microsoft is using their money to get um, potential exclusives, not even guaranteed, but potential exclusives from Activision Blizzard in the future, when that has been Sony's complete game in the past maybe like 10 to 15 years. Uh, But I'm curious, what do you feel about this whole Activision Xbox purchase merger? Do you think this would affect you as a PlayStation owner? Are you agreeing with Sony to think that maybe this is a little bit too far? And uh, do you think that potentially even the the regulators might block this deal because it could be uh, a bit of a monopoly for Microsoft? I agree with you. I think it's very hypocritical. Personally, I'm not that affected by it because I haven't played Call of Duty in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Very, very long time. I got Cold War when it came out just because like I was the first Call of Duty game on the PS5. I've played Warzone like maybe 10 times total. Um even though I don't think Warzone is up for being, you know, I don't think it's I don't think Microsoft would make that an Xbox exclusive just because it's free money. Yeah. Um but I mean, yeah, if if it becomes if the Call of Duty franchise becomes an Xbox exclusive, that would be a pretty big deal. I think that would definitely hurt PlayStation. As you said, it's the number one selling game year over year for almost like the past two decades. So I think it would definitely hurt them. But Sony bought the studio behind Destiny. So then Destiny could then become a PlayStation exclusive. And then it's kind of like, well, you're complaining about this becoming an exclusive, but then you're going and doing the same thing with another game and franchise. So yeah, very hypocritical. They could lose out, but maybe that's part of why they bought Bungie so they can say, okay, you keep Call of Duty coming out on PlayStation. We keep Destiny coming out for Xbox if there are more Destiny games coming out. But I don't think, I don't think it should get blocked. That's kind of that's that's part of that's part of the business, I guess. Right. I think that Activision should be allowed, you know, the deal should go through with Microsoft. I think Xbox should be allowed to own them or Microsoft Xbox should be allowed to own them. But I also think it would be better for their overall bottom line if they still allow it to come out on PlayStation. Yeah. Right. If it's the number one selling game, why would you stop that? 
you could still, I think they should be able to put it out on Game Pass. And I could see them even doing console exclusives. Like you said, you know, in Destiny, there is a lot of great guns that only came out on PlayStation or they only were on PlayStation for the first year. And then after the first year of the game, it was okay. Now it's out for the rest of the consoles or it's out for Xbox. But at that point, who cares? Yeah. But I could see them having a lot of console exclusive, a lot of perks for Xbox and for Xbox Game Pass. But just the fact that they sell so many games to PlayStation, you know, users, PlayStation gamers, it wouldn't make sense in my mind to stop that. Mm -hmm. But I think that they should be allowed to own it. They should be allowed to put it on Game Pass. And that's just part of the perk of Game Pass. And then maybe it, it maybe causes Sony to improve their game streaming platform. Because like, because of the success of Xbox Game Pass, we have the PlayStation Plus, the premium and all that tiers, which is good, but it's not the same as Game Pass. Yeah. So maybe if we get Call of Duty on Game Pass, then maybe it's like, all right, PlayStation takes a look at themselves and they say, hey, we have to do better than we're doing right now. Because they have, because they have Call of Duty and we don't have stuff that competes or we don't have tiers that compete with that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not worried personally, mm -hmm. but I could, I definitely see why Sony's worried. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I think when it comes from like a regulator standpoint, whether it's UK, the UK government, or even, you know, the FTC and, and the US government, if they came out and blocked this, I, this, this purchase and said, Hey, this is just too much under one roof. I don't think I'd be that mad with it. Um, you know, I, I could understand that argument. I think where I have the issue is this argument coming from Sony. Um, it, it just it just seems so weird because this is their entire game plan. You know, Street Fighter V was a PlayStation exclusive. We talked about Final Fantasy. There's so many non-Sony-made PlayStation exclusives that they've paid for. This is kind of a huge part of their business practices. So I, to me, I don't see this as vastly different um, it's just Microsoft buying the company that makes these games as opposed to buying exclusives piecemeal. And it's probably because Microsoft just has a ton of money that they can afford to do that. But yeah, I can understand this argument from regulators standpoint of like, hey, we don't want this. We don't want everyone under under one roof. Um, but yeah, from Sony's standpoint, I don't really I don't really agree with with what they're doing here. But who knows? It may be successful. It might help uh, regulators decide to block this this deal. But with this kind of this situation, we got a lot of information coming out, um, kind of like what happened with the, like I mentioned, with the Apple and, and Epic, like people just had to start talking about or these companies just had to start talking about their plans, maybe before they, they really wanted to make them public. And one of them that's really interesting that just came out this past week is that with this deal, Microsoft plans on making a storefront, a mobile storefront. Um, for Game Pass where they can just have a ton of games available. And I, I, this is really interesting because with Game Pass and with something like Activision Blizzard and Call of Duty and, and all these companies, they could potentially have an app that gives you the ability to play almost any popular game there is from anywhere um, under one roof. And it's, it's kind of something that we haven't seen before. It's kind of unprecedented of like, oh, okay, you want to play Fortnite? You can play Fortnite. You want to play Call of Duty? You can play Call of Duty. You don't need a console. Um, you could potentially just use your TV or your phone or, or whatever it is, and you would have access to all of this. 
do you feel like that is a cool future for video games? Do you think it makes sense? Do you think we're at the point now with internet technology where we can actually have Game Pass be the go-to kind of service, especially if they do get this Activision deal of like, you can play Call of Duty, you can play uh, uh, Overwatch 2, you can play um, Halo, Doom, all of these games, no downloading, instantly you just jump in on any device you already own. Yeah, I mean, personally, no. Mm. Personally, because, I mean, gaming to me is at home, on your couch, playing on a TV, in front of a console. Mm-hmm. That's, I guess, that's my generation of gaming. But the more and more kids are playing games on their phones, on tablets, that sort of thing. I mean, I could see that being a future. It's not, not that I'm not interested in it, but I like the TV experience. I like the, okay, I'm sitting down, I'm playing on the couch with friends. I like that experience. But, you know, with the success of games like Genshin Impact, like Apex Legends for mobile, like Call of Duty mobile, right? Yeah, it's, that's a good point. That could be, for a lot of people, the future of gaming, where, you know, you have any game you want on your iPhone or on your Samsung Galaxy device. I, and for, generation, for the generation of kids or generation of people that is used to playing games on their phones, that sounds very enticing. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense than, you know, struggling, you know, not as much right now, but, you know, there are points where people were just watching websites to see when PlayStations would be in stock somewhere so they could rush to that store and go and buy it to say that, you know, maybe for the next for PlayStation 5, maybe it's the same thing. There's a struggle to meet the demand for PlayStations, but on your iPhone you don't need to go and get an Xbox because you have Game Pass, and as soon as a game comes out, you can play it on your phone, right? I could definitely see that being the future of gaming. Is it the future that I could see myself getting into? Not really right now. Not really in the future either, but I don't know. How do you feel? Like, Are you someone who enjoys playing games on a mobile device? Have like, Do you play? Because I know for your Switch, for instance, you like playing handheld more than you like playing on the TV. Yeah. Do you see that being a future for yourself where you have Xbox Game Pass on a tablet or on your phone and you don't worry about getting a new console or upgrading your PC, for instance, because you can game on a handheld device? It's it's a tough question because my my instinct is like, yeah, I think that would work for me because, you know, mentioned on this podcast, got a Steam Deck. I love it. Um and I never use it docked. I have a Switch. I love it. Never use it docked. Uh, and I would rather play games on both of those devices than I would on my PC, which is technically more powerful. So it's it's just one of those things where, yeah, I prefer to play games handheld. The big thing, though, is I don't enjoy playing games on my phone. Like, even mobile games, I don't enjoy playing on my phone. So it's it's one of those weird things of, like, yes, but I also don't like playing games on my phone. And I also like physical games like physical copies, cartridges, discs, and stuff like that, which just don't exist on those platforms and with streaming. So it's like weird. It's it's like the idea I like of it, but in practice, it's probably not something that I would engage in. But I mean, I guess just to, to bring this full circle, let's say, you know, this is Microsoft's future plan. They want to be the app store equivalent of video games across every platform, on your c- computer, on your phone, 
uh, on every device you've ever owned, your TV, does this Activision Blizzard purchase, if it gets approved and if it goes through, does it make them so big or too big to fail? Like, does it make them so big that no one can really ever compete with them? Or is it more like the situation with Netflix where, yeah, they might be the biggest right now if this deal goes through, but just give it a few years and, and maybe someone else can come through. Maybe Sony can come through and actually make something. I, for me personally, I don't know if anyone could really compete with a company that owns Halo, Doom, all the Bethesda games, Call of Duty, Overwatch, every Blizzard game ever coming in the future, including Diablo. And, <laughs> like, I don't know if anyone could really compete with that even 10 years down the line, but I don't know. Maybe I might be wrong. I still think they can. Mm. Those are a lot of games, a lot of big titles, a lot of big franchises, but I still, like for all the Sony exclusives that they have, even if you look at just The Last of Us, Spider-Man, like Uncharted, they still have great franchises that people like, you know, God of War, for uh, Horizon. And then when you look at Nintendo, like any Super Mario game. Yeah. All the Super Mario sports spinoffs. If you look at all the Pokemon games, all the Zelda games, all the the Bayonetta games and Xenoblade Chronicles. Like other companies have long-standing franchises that people love. Maybe not as many, maybe not as many North American ones, but I I don't see them dominating in that sense. I don't see, yeah, I don't see it as like, there's no way anyone can compete with Microsoft if they get, you know, all these pieces of the Infinity Gauntlet. I still think that there's going to be plenty of competition. Mm. Maybe for right now, you know, maybe if this closes, it'll be one-sided. And that's not even right away, right? Maybe it's like, okay, in three, six years, it might be a bit one-sided. But by that point, we'll have new gaming franchises popping up. We'll have maybe even new consoles popping up and, if Xbox isn't selling a lot of their consoles because everyone's signed up on Game Pass maybe and everyone's playing on their phones or their tablets or something else, and then we have a PlayStation 5 Pro or whatever the new Nintendo Switch is, mm -hmm. right? That's where I see companies like Sony and Nintendo being successful. But I'm not, yeah, I'm not worried about Xbox or Microsoft consolidating too much. Maybe that's because... Personally, I'm not a fan of those franchises, so maybe it's just you know completely over my head. But yeah, I'm not worried for a lack of competition, at least right now. Well, this will be an interesting one to see how it plays out. Yeah, definitely. Any closing statements or? Oh, I don't know. I, I think maybe if this deal doesn't go through, Microsoft should just invest that money and take a controlling stake in the Pokemon company. Then who knows? Maybe start <laughs> releasing games on Pokemon games on the Xbox. That would be very weird. <laughs> Take it easy, everyone in podcast land. Catch you in the next episode. <laughs>